We started a sermon series last week entitled, Why Salvation? Over the last several years, we've looked at different why sermon series. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to be raised from the dead? Why the incarnation? Why did the Word, need, why did, why did the word have to be made flesh? And, and over these weeks together, why salvation? Especially looking to Paul's epistles. And last week we covered the heart of it. We're we're saved because we are lost in sin and he comes to forgive us and and we're saved for heaven someday. And that's unfortunately sometimes that's that's all we hear. We're so hyper that we want people to know the goodness and the freedom of forgiveness of sins and we want people to be with us in heaven that sometimes that's all we preach. How many of you like me in junior high and high school because of the life you lived like I lived you got dragged to different revival events by friends. <laughs> we got to get this kid to Jesus. <laughs> and I get there, and what did I hear? You need to be saved for your, from your sins, and you need to go to heaven. We'd all go make that commitment. And nobody ever followed up with me after that. Nothing. Just get him in. And there's so much more to the saving work of Jesus, of what the Father intends, what Jesus has offered to us through his sacrifice. And so what are those things that that are the purposes of God for our salvation? Freedom, yes, that our sins are hurled away, separated as far as the east is from the west. Yes, praise God. And that he is waiting. He's waiting for us. But but there's so much more. As a matter of fact, we don't even have to wait if you read John's gospel. But what does Paul say? Paul pushes back all the time about what we can have this side of glory with Jesus. Now let's first give honor and glory to Jesus. Every week I want to talk about what we can have, but what do you see here? If you still have your Bibles open, just back up to the verses even before our text, before we get into this very difficult news about who we were, children of wrath, living after worldly flesh, our minds are lost, all of that. What do we, what do we see about Jesus? Back up to the end of chapter 1. We see the greatness of his power. We see his great might. We see his seated at the hand, at the right hand, that he has all rule and all authority, that all things are under his feet. He is head over all things. We see the sovereignty and the the might and the authority of Jesus. But then we get to our passage, and it's not just that, as amazing as that is. But despite of who we were, And sadly, sometimes who we continue to be. But God, rich and mercy, has loved us with a great love. I love the way that Lori had that 145, Psalm 145, put back together of God being being slow to anger about his great mercy and his patience with us and hear this testimony again in spite of our sin in spite of how however you may be feeling because the shame of your past it's written here for us to remember he's over all things yes but he's done this because of his great love for you he's put it in his word over and over again of the love of god for you when your feelings tell you something different Maybe somebody in your family tells you something different. When the accuser of the brethren comes and tells you something different, he has made sure to give it to us in his word that we can trust this word. He has a great love with which he loves us. 
there was a very famous pastor in our day who was walking with his father during his father's last days, and he would routinely go uh, to see his father. And every time uh, he would leave his father, his father would be in his recliner, he'd go by his dad, and they would always have uh, prayer together. And every time he would leave, his father would say, son, I am so proud of you. And he said, the last time he said it, it's almost as if I knew this was the last time, that my father was making sure of his love for me, his pride in me, his encouragement of my life and of my ministry. And here's what he said, because our feelings can fight us all the time. But here's what he said. The source of a word determines its weight. This is my father who knew me who's watched me struggle, who's watched me be faithful. And he was able to say, it's the source of that word that determines its weight. I'm going to press through feelings, and I'm going to believe it because it's him. He knows me, and this is a word for us. No matter where you may be in shame or struggle or with your past, this word says God is rich in mercy, and he has a great love for you. The word determines its weight, and the Spirit of God didn't want Paul or you or me to miss this. No matter who we were, it's because of his great love for you. I hope you rest in that today. We don't miss the authority of Christ, the sovereignty of Christ, but don't miss his love for you. Now, what about this passage here? What do we see here about who we were, this great contrast that Paul is building for us about where we were and now what we can have because of what Christ has won for us. There's a great contrast here too, and this is where we're headed today, of what God can deliver us from, how he can, and as Amy just saying, he can rescue us from who we were. As Paul quotes in Romans, going back to the Old Testament, the great deliverer has come. The deliverer will come when he quotes Isaiah. And so much of Paul is talking about the deliverance, the escape that we can have in and through Jesus Christ. Looking to our passage today, obviously verse 1 and verse 5, he's talking about we've moved from death to life. But there's so much more. You keep going down, verse 12, verse 13, verse 17. We were out of relationship with God. We were far away. We were separate. But because of his great mercy, his great love for us in Christ, we've come back to right relationship with God. You can just go through the rest of Paul's words. Romans 6, we were slaves. 1 Corinthians 12, we were pagans. Romans 11, we were disobedient. Colossians 1, we were hostile in mind. And the emphasis here is on who we were before we knew uh, Jesus. Um, can we take a look at this real quick, Chris? Just a picture of, we talk about who we were, and listen, I know as our country, we came from Great Britain, but we're Americans now. And I'm sure I believe crazy things in the past, but I hope I have a, a biblical worldview now, an orthodox view now. I'm not who I had to be in the past, but according to MSN.com, I'm from Great Britain, and I'm woke. So uh, that's, you know, the thing that really upset me about them borrowing that screen grab is it proves that not only do y'all sleep during my sermons, even I can't stay awake uh, during my sermons. All right, Chris, thanks, man. We were from Great Britain. We're not anymore. Maybe there were things that I once, I don't know how they got that picture. 
Um, we just heard it beautifully sung for us. Uh, I've been rescued. I've been saved from who I was. Jesus is changing me. If you do the math, I've not been able to find another chapter in all of Scripture that uses the word previously more. It's this chapter. Previously, you were this. Previously, you were that. Previously, but you don't have to be anymore because of what Christ has done for us. This is who you were because of his great salvation. This is how you've been delivered. Now, all these words that we're going to look at today, at the heart of them, yes, they're talking about that salvific moment when we've moved from death to life. From, from being under judgment to being free in Christ, from being all of that, yes, but there are some practical words here for us too. So we're going to look at four words together about how we need to check ourselves and to make sure we're not going back to who we were. Verse two, four words, and the first one is world. Now world, that word cosmo, that cosmo or cosmos can a lot of times be a good word, can mean literally the world. Uh, but so often as you read Paul and, my goodness, you read John, you read, it can also be a negative word, meaning we, we follow after the pleasures of this world, as one grammatical study said, the hollow and frail and fleeting and stirring desire, seduced from God and, have, and the world is an obstacle to the cause of Christ. And it's an important check for us because we're so bombarded by all kinds of worldviews, all kinds of patterns for living, and, and, our, and, 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 and we still can be tempted to follow after them. It's a good check when we see this, and we see the power of the world and how it can still seduce or draw the believer to say, time out. Today, I'm going to do the work. How is it that, that, that my... How I feel about myself, my esteem, is that wrapped up in the world or is it wrapped up in but God rich in mercy with the great love that he loves us? Uh, my, my parenting, am I pulling from the world or no, I am following what, what the scriptures have said in terms of how I view play and recreation, in terms of how I view dating, in terms of how I view money, in terms of how I view sexuality, in terms of how I view work, in terms of how I view friendship. Is there any way in me that is following the course of this world, missing what God has shared with us about who we can be? I don't have to be that anymore. And Paul pushes that all the time throughout his epistles. Again, I had no intention of this sermon series but just reading through Paul in my private and my devotional time, just seeing this reminder of the salvation we have that we can be freed and delivered from these things, and one of them's the world. Paul says, you know that passage in Romans 12, don't be conformed to the world. But in 1 Corinthians 1 and 3, he reminds us the wisdom of the world is foolish. In 2 Timothy 4, he even talks about someone, Dima, who's gone. He fell in love with the world. He fell in love with the world and he's gone and he's deserted me, is Paul's testimony uh, to Timothy. Titus 2 warns of worldly passions. Galatians 6, I am to be crucified to this world. It's to be dead to me. It's a constant reminder throughout Paul 
that, that the course of this world will come back to us. How is it in those areas of our lives? We need to do that check today and say, Lord, if there's anything in me where I'm chasing after the world or I'm letting the world influence me on how I do life with you, life with my family, life at work, life in relationships, you come at Holy Spirit, you check me on that today. Show that to me. Bless me to be rescued and delivered. All these reminders we're looking at today are ways in which God has delivered us. First word's world. Second word's hard to talk about in some ways because it's the devil. He reminds them too of the ever-present spiritual warfare that they are under and they were under. Now it's different in terms of how they are under it. Praise God we've been delivered. But he talks about the reality of that and you can't miss that. Too often in the busyness of our culture and of our lives, we can think that we wrestle, as Paul will say later in Ephesians, just with flesh and blood and hustle and bustle and all the responsibilities that we had, and we kind of keep our heads down to the battle that's raging all around us and the influences that are pressing us, the snares, 1 Timothy 3, 6 through 7, the devil comes to condemn and to snare spiritual leaders. He talks about that again in 2 Timothy but he says here in Ephesians 4.27, don't give any opportunity to the devil. Later in chapter 6, he'll say in verse 11, the devil is a schemer. You put on the whole armor of God, yes, so you can be who you ought to be in this world, but it's because the devil is a schemer. You put on the whole armor of God. In the very next verse, he says, we all wrestle with the devil's schemes. All of us wrestle. By the way, Big Ten wrestling starts today, just at noon. Penn State, Indiana, anybody wants to come over to the parsonage? Sarah will cook. Sarah, no? Okay. You, you don't want a wrong fear, a misplaced fear. We talk about things like spiritual warfare, right? Um, Sarah and I went and saw the movie The Boys in the Boat a couple of weeks ago. Great movie. Uh, some of the prever- pre- previews were not so great. There was one I was particularly, I will tell you, I was, I was a little scared when I watched it. And it wasn't the one about the omen, about the antichrist. It wasn't that one. It wasn't the preview about something in a pool that comes to kill you, a night swim. Uh, it wasn't even the Godzilla movie that scared me. What was, what's the most terrifying thing in the world? Junior high girls, mean girls. There's the mean girls preview was on, or high school girl. I don't know, I haven't seen that movie. But that came on, and that's what scared me. And yet sometimes we don't give this stuff a second thought uh, in terms of spiritual warfare, of just being aware of it. It can never paralyze us because of the victory is won in Jesus, but it's something we need to be mindful of in our prayers. It's something we need to be mindful of in our discernment. Uh, Paul reminds us, yes, that's who you were, uh, but he reminds us of of who we can be. We can be free of that, but it's an ever-present reality not against flesh and blood, but the principalities of the air. Here, the prince of the air, and we have to be mindful of that battle. Fourth word is flesh, verse 3. He talks about who we were, and he speaks of the passions of our flesh. And again, that word flesh, sometimes we have to be careful with that. Flesh can be a good word uh, sometimes in Scripture. It's not always a bad thing, but Paul is clear throughout his epistles for, for us to be careful. Galatians 5, he names 
Oh my goodness, does he name the deeds of the flesh. Philippians 3, don't put any confidence in the flesh to save yourself. You're not saved by yourself. We just saw it here in our passage. By grace you are saved. Romans 8, don't set your mind on the flesh. This is where I want us to just spend a minute. Not only is it worldly desires, desires of the flesh, but he also adds this phrase of, of the mind, that our minds were fallen, and it's something for us to check and, and be careful about, because looking at that word, the way we reason for mind, but also our thought life, that's, a, that's just a key battleground. Um, I shared a couple of weeks ago, I can't remember when, but we were talking about that so, many, so much of our deliverance, so many victories in our spiritual life are won in our prayer closet. I was talking with somebody about that this week. So, so much victory we see some days because of the days and weeks and months we've spent in prayer. My Sunday school teacher was just reminding us last week of a, a friend uh, of, of his who had spent, I think, decades praying for a child before they came back to the Lord. And they came back to the Lord with just days to live, not knowing they had days to live. But it's the faithfulness of that mom and some of her friends just every day going to the Lord. That's where so many of our our battles are won. But also so, Paul and and all the New Testament is reminding us about the importance of our thought life. And about if if something starts there, if we let it to germinate there, uh, we can go back to being who we were. Um, Chapters 4 through 6, he's going to talk a whole lot about how we're to live, how we're to speak, how we're to treat our spouse. But so, many, so much of that is lost when the thought comes up and we let it fester. I can't remember. I've heard Chuck Swindoll use it. I've heard Steve Arterburn use it. And I can't remember the exact order. But basically, they talk about it like this. Your thought life, if you'll stay with it, if you don't fight it right there and right then, your thought life will begin to produce desires. And those desires will eventually produce actions. And those actions will eventually become habits. And those habits will secure your destiny. So often it just starts at a thought where I'm going to let bitterness in a relationship, in a marriage, I'm just going to let that kind of just play. It's no big deal. I'm just letting it play right here. And before you know, it becomes a desire and it becomes an action and then a habit. It can happen in a friendship. It can happen at work. A little bitterness, maybe a little anxiety. And we're going to let that just continue to germinate and then we become undone. So much is one in our thought life. That's who we were. He speaks of the passions of the flesh and of the mind, and those things ought to be put off. You need to hear that word today, to take every thought captive, to be, to be so careful to stop your thought life so you don't get pulled away from what the Lord has for you. This last word's a tough word, and I'll be honest, it's the only place we find this phrase, at least I could find in the couple of translations where I looked. Uh, it's wrath, the children, children of wrath. I don't, I don't find that phrase anywhere else in Scripture in verse 3. Um, and, and, and again, under the judgment of God, yes, before salvation, we're all under the God, judgment of God, so that's certainly what he, Paul could be saying here. We were children of wrath, just like everybody else. Uh, we were under his judgment. About half of the New Testament terms that have to do with the wrath of God are from Paul. Uh, you can just, I say Romans 1, 2, 9, 11, 12, just read Romans. 
if you want to know about, about God's uh, judgment. But I love what Paul says in Thessalonians 5, 9, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, for God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Um, and there's, there's this word here too, and I, I was reading John Stott's commentary this week, and he was saying that as we've been looking through this passage, this great contrast of who we were, who we are now, who we were, but the contrast of even though we were lost, God is rich in mercy, full of love, that deep contrast. Uh, but could it also be, and he hints at this as well, that he's pointing out not just our desperate need that we were under judgment with God, but look, this is kind of who we were. We were wrathful, full of anger, full of malice. And sadly, that phrase you see here in the passage, we were just like everybody else. Admit it. Anybody else want to admit it this morning? That before, I heard there was a junior high dance this week. It's at the soccer game. I was hearing all the stories this weekend about the junior high dance. Anybody ever at a junior high dance call your friends and say, what are you wearing? Anybody? You admit it. Thank goodness once you're an adult, peer pressure is over. You don't worry anymore <laughs> about what people... That becomes the pressure, right? To be like everybody else, not to, not to stick out. This, this is a tough tough word just like everybody else this is who you were and you can't be that anymore and if it is speaking about wrath by the way at that soccer game i sure saw some wrath preacher might even yelled at a referee my son's the coach of the jv team and i had to say sarah don't let me do that again uh we're an angry culture we're just an angry culture Sporting events, seeing anger at stores. Go next time you're at a big store, just look and see how many people are smiling. I mean, they're supposed to be going there for shop therapy to feel better, get what you, and they look miserable. Even at family, we can be children of wrath. Here's what Paul says, just walking through his epistles, both in Romans and in 1 Timothy, don't repay anybody with wrath or revenge. Titus 3.3, 3. we were once this and that, this and that, and here's how he ends. And we lived our days in malice, hating one another. To Colossians, men, he speaks to us. Husbands, don't be harsh with your wives. And fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. And then you just follow along later in Ephesians. He warns of abusive speech. He says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. He talks about not letting the sun go down on your anger. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger be put away from you. We're an angry culture. And we, church, we can't look like this world. It's one of the great gifts we'll give this world is to let all bitterness and malice and anger not be present in our lives. We are in a get-even culture. We're in a, I will blast you on social media. And if I'm not brave enough to blast you on social media, I know the back channels of the gossip circle and I'll get you there. It's an angry, bitter culture. I saw the, the listing of the Golden Globe winners. The act, best actor and best actress in a miniseries are... I think it's for a show where they just random strangers the show beef i was interested in it because it talked about meat i was like hey this is my kind of show it's not your kind of show 
about two random people who just want to get at each other. And that can be our culture. And then this great contrast, but God, rich in mercy, who has a great love for you. Praise God, we're no longer under judgment. But if there's a word here too for us, we are not to be people of anger and wrath. You need to hear that this morning? To allow God, as he has done in all these areas, to deliver you from that, to, to rescue you, as we heard sung this morning, to rescue you from that. I hope many of us will be here this Wednesday night. It's going to be, it's be my first time to go through a covenant service. Sadly, as a Wesleyan, I've not, I've not been, through, been in a church that's done that before. A total surrendering to the Lord. Lord, have all of me. And the good news is God wants all of it. Uh, we were these things, but God, rich in mercy, has offered us a great salvation. We don't have to follow the worldly patterns anymore, and we shouldn't. We don't, we don't have to be under spiritual uh, uh, dominion anymore, and we shouldn't. We can control our thought life, and we don't have to follow after our anger. How is it you and I need to let him work? I love when J.D. Walt was here a couple of weeks, uh, back in August, when we kicked off our uh, Wednesdays at Madison uh, programming. I love what he said is, we need more stories in the church. We just need to make sure we're telling our stories. And what he meant by that is, yes, to tell the stories of, of God's great saving grace that I became a Christian, but, but to be able to say to our kids, to say to our friends, to say to our brothers and sisters in Christ, but to also our coworkers and anybody who will ask, I've also got another story of, of how he rescued me, of how he delivered me. We go through the book of Acts and we look at Paul's life. There's all kinds of rescues from ships, wrecks, to, to, to persecution, how he escapes, or, or from prison. But the great story is that Paul escaped being Saul, of the change that God made in his life, in his heart, freeing him from legalism, from his pride, from his wrath, on and on. How, how, how is that? to happen for us today. Our closing hymn is listed for you uh, in your bulletin. Let's stand together as we respond and as we sing.